0: GIST is brought to you by Texture, the mobile app that lets you tap directly into the world's most popular magazines anywhere using your phone or tablet. Dive deeper into Vogue, People, Esquire, Time, and hundreds more with interactive content for a richer reading experience. Right now, try Texture for free at texture.com slash gist. That's texture.com slash gist. The following podcast contains explicit language. Mm -hmm.
1: It's Wednesday, February 3rd, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I didn't say I'm Mike Pesca yesterday. I'm saying it today. And I am. And I should note that every day I pass a Chipotle with my son, Milo. He reminds me of the unofficial countdown I put in place. Dad, you said we needed to go three months without an outbreak until we eat Chipotle again. Right now, it's been six weeks since you said that. So I got another month and six weeks to go before I eat Chipotle. Yes, very good. I figure, look, when I was a kid, I loved Taco Bell. And with Taco Bell, you would get consistently sick, but the sickness wasn't that severe. With Chipotle, on the other hand, you get severely sick, but the sickness is inconsistent. Very few people get it. It's pretty much the same thing. It's an exercise in nostalgia. Norovirus. And now, the figures are out. Sales at Chipotle are down $53 million if you compare fourth quarter 2015 to 2014. When you do the math, here's what the numbers spit out. Spit out like a steak corn taco. Yes, I did. 53 million comes to 5.6 million barbacoa burritos with guacamole, 4.3 million chicken salad bowls with a side of guacamole and chips, or 12.5 million children's quesadilla with chips and milk on the side. And I also saw that last week, McDonald's announced a turnaround that sales were up 5.7%, and guess where the credit was given? Is it all about all-day breakfast? It it does seem like that's the story in the U.S. You know, they posted a big gain. That's the biggest gain quarterly for them in a long time. And it has to be all day breakfast, just bringing people into the stores, giving some excitement to customers who maybe hadn't been there a while, deciding to come back because of that. All about all day breakfast. Well, how about the fact that McDonald's most obvious rival, the one mentioned in every story, Contrasting their fast, cash trendiness to the fallen arch's stodginess, how about that that rival recently transformed into a cross-country vomitorium? Maybe that helped. Even now, with the outbreak seemingly over, here's how Chipotle is covered in the news. Analysts at Deutsche Bank, Goldman Sachs, and Barclays, among many, sounding the
0: alarm. They say even though the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced this week, Chipotle's E. coli outbreak is just about over, and the stock has lost more than 30 percent.
1: All right, those are the words. Here are the visuals. There's a shot of Deutsche Bank, a shot of Goldman Sachs, and then a shot of the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, and then a closed sign on a Chipotle, and then some vegetables being chopped, and then some chicken being grilled, and then a guy in a hazmaty type mask climbing a ladder inside a Chipotle to put something in the ceiling, and then a shot of them making more Chipotle food. These are not good visuals. This is not promising. And even though the Pesca family is keen on having our sign at home six weeks since a mass vomiting outbreak, I don't expect other consumers to be quite as dedicated as an eight-year-old with an internal quesadilla tracking beam. On the show today, I spiel about creating movies and TV shows within the context of some context. Greece Live, OJ Simpson, and maybe a shout-out to Marcel the Monkey. But first, my favorite song in Greece is Summer Nights, or, as I experienced that song, Purple Parallelogram Monkey. Well, maybe I just don't understand synesthesia, but Maria Konnikova is here to help. Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now, if I were to sing that, a couple things would happen. large percentage of the audience would be appalled, but a very small percentage of the audience, instead of hearing yesterday all my troubles seem so far away might just see green blue purple they have synesthesia or synesthesia, as I understand it, which might be the TV movie of the week version of synesthesia. It's a word I can't really pronounce and hardly understand, but that doesn't mean we can't play Is It Bullshit? The Synesthesia Edition. Joining me now is Maria Kanakova, who is the author of The Confidence Game and Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes, and she vets these claims. Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. How do you pronounce synesthesia? Synesthesia. Good job. What's it mean?
0: Well, it comes from a Greek word that means literally perceiving together. Mm-hmm. So, what we're talking about when we're talking about synesthetes are people in whom the senses have been a little bit crosswired, mm-hmm. and there are different types. So, for instance, the most common type is grapheme color. Grapheme refers to letters, so it means that every time you see an A, you
1: see it as
0: red. Mm-hmm. Every time you see a B, you see it as
1: yellow. So it's not just a vague association with uh, a letter and a color. They actually see these. They letters actually in Colors. see
0: the letters in different colors, and they often see, when they look at whole words, depending on the type of grapheme color synesthesia mm-hmm. that they have, they see the word in a specific color mm-hmm. rather than each letter separately, so depending on what the letters are. I met a synesthete a few years ago who told me that my name was a brownish-green, which made me very unhappy. Yeah. But what, we don't what, want to what, be what are you going to do? <laughs>
1: It's like in past lives, we all want to be emperor, but we're probably all brownish greens. Yeah. So we're there, all earth tones. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Mike Pesca, you're a wonderful purple.
0: For some people, capitals and lowercase are the same color. Yeah. Sometimes they're different. But the one thing that is true if you're a synesthete is that these associations will Always be there, mm-hmm. and they are stable throughout your life.
1: Here's a hail mary question. I, there's no way you can know the answer, but if you do, I'll be so impressed. What if a person sees a letter as as a, the letter B is red, but it's printed in bl- a blue font? Does that change things?
0: Oh, that can be really, really troubling for. Oh them. wow, you do yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So for a lot of people, this causes severe discomfort, yeah. and they actually have Stroop effect type yeah. of things because it takes it might take them longer to read it because. It's jarring for some people. It doesn't make that much of a difference. Like because... if you
1: see the if you see an M mm-hmm. as any color other than yellow, every time you go past a McDonald's, it must be jarring. And it must be jarring. Yeah, absolutely. Comforting. But for... I was doing the uh, I was doing the music, seeing mm-hmm. colors with yep, music. Is absolutely. that a big one or just one that's gotten a lot of attention?
0: That that is one that exists. Yeah. Like I said, grapheme color is the biggest one we know about. One caveat with synesthesia is that we don't have a lot of population-wide data because people are born with it. Mm-hmm. And so they don't realize that it's weird and that it's strange. And so unless you go and seek it out and try to figure out you know, what's going on, you'll think that everyone else experiences the world in exactly the same way. So there are some synesthetes who didn't realize they were synesthetes until they were in their 40s or 50s when suddenly some, they encountered the concept somewhere and said, oh, oh my God, you know, I this is me. I thought that everyone did this. So that's just one big caveat to say that our prevalence data is a little bit shady. Not shady, but a little shaky, because we we don't really know if people are recognizing themselves as synesthetes. That said, the sound color one is one that you you do hear. There are some composers who were sound color synesthetes. I keep wanting to say Kandinsky, who was a synesthete. Stravinsky, there we go. Stravinsky,
1: (laughs) Stravinsky, Kandinsky. Stravinsky was not painted on both sides, but Kandinsky was. And Kandinsky was a
0: synesthete. He had double synesthesia, so every time that he saw a color... He heard music, yeah, and every time he heard music, he saw a color. So um, he wasn't even a good
1: artist. He would just write. <laughs> he was basically just taking dictation. Yeah,
0: he was just. A composer. Yeah, he would hear some
1: music, and say, <laughs> hey, that's what it is.
0: Yeah, and that it doesn't have to be that way. By the way, it doesn't
1: have to. But be But you those also directions. say consistent, right? It's consistent yes. throughout life. So the same. Passage of music inspires the same visual for yes. Kandinsky or someone like him. Yes,
0: absolutely. And for some, so there are some composers who basically the key that it's in yeah. will color the exact color of of the composition. So your rendition of Yesterday probably would be a bit of a muddle because I'm sorry to say, Mike, you were a little off, yeah. and so you weren't really in any key, and right. and that I that's problematic for them. Sorry,
1: citizen. <laughs> And Beethoven's fifth is blue, 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 purple. But they actually. Blue, 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 purple.
0: <laughs> but the ones who have the sound colors synesthesia actually often have perfect pitch. Huh? They actually can see the colors and associate them with specific tones.
1: Is there a smell seizure?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every single sense you can think of. There's even one where food. Inspires different abstract shapes. So, like Mm -hmm. every time you eat pasta, you'll see triangles. Or something weird. Pasta comes in so many shapes. I know, I know. So, there are, and there are absolute, there's touch, synesthesia, all five senses, there's a synesthesia with it. And it seems to be genetic. Mm -hmm. So, it runs in families. We know that it affects we think between 4 and 5% of the population. You can test yourself. There are websites where you can test yourself for different types well, of synesthesia. Well, what did you say,
1: though, that if it's nothing like this has ever occurred to you, it's pretty clear that you don't have synesthesia? I've never experienced, you know, spaghetti equals rhombus.
0: Yes, absolutely. That could be a pretty safe bet. But some people, like I said, don't discover it for a very long time. So I was interviewing the chef, Heston Blumenthal, a few weeks ago, and he told me that he only recently realized that he had grapheme color synesthesia. He never knew that. Um, so he's only known it for a few years.
1: Can it be troubling to people? Well, let's see. Maybe some percent Absolutely. of the population thinks they're insane. And so it's important to say that Well, no, so let
0: me, you know that 4 to 5% prevalence rate? Yeah. It goes up within certain subsets of the population. Uh-huh. So some studies show that creative populations have a much higher prevalence. So there was a study done in an
1: art self-reported college. Self-reported creative populations. No,
0: it's actually, well, yes, yeah, self-reported <laughs> creative populations. But the synesthesia is not self-reported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well-tested. It can be as much as a quarter. Yeah. And the other population where there's a very high prevalence is schizophrenics. Yeah, Um, There's a lot of wiring
1: there going on. So
0: for some people, it can create discomfort. So some people can't stand certain sounds, can't stand certain names, can't stand certain foods. Some people think someone is negative because they actually see. So like if, Mike, if your name came with a black, if I saw Mike as black, I might actually kind of see you in a black light and I might not like Mike's. Yeah, yeah. And there are are a lot of theories as to what's going on. One of them that has gotten some traction in the last few years is that we're all born synesthetes. Mm-hmm. So all of our senses are kind of interwired and we have all of these neural connections when we're born. And then we prune them away mm-hmm. because a, a lot of pruning happens in the infant brain. And most people end up not synesthetes, but in some of them the pruning never happens. And so that cross-wired Sensory phenomenon remains. It seems like an
1: interesting theory that you can't possibly test.
0: There was an interesting study that looked at this Mm -hmm. in infants and basically did a looking paradigm. So, a lot of studies with little kids who can't talk, you look at how long they look at different things, and that is. A marker of attention. Mm -hmm. So, if I look at something longer, it interests me a lot more. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, babies look at novel stimuli uh, more than they do at stimuli that they've seen before. And so, we can say, oh, they recognize this because they're not looking at it as much and they're looking at this. That means to them this is new. Basically, they did a synesthesia test for them with triangles of different colors on different backgrounds. And they saw some evidence that uh, young infants have synesthesia because certain combinations are jarring to them and others are not, and then they, they lose it before they're a year old.
1: Yeah. I don't buy it. I'm just saying. I don't <laughs> buy it. I think you do little studies with babies and say anything that happens.
0: Listen, it's one study.
1: Yeah. I have a theory <laughs> so, as to why it happens. What's your theory? back, it was once an evolutionary advantage. I don't know why, and I don't know how, but that's the explanation <laughs> for everything that's weird. All right. It was once an evolutionary advantage.
0: People can acquire synesthesia. How? After strokes or brain damage sometimes. Oh, yeah, that would
1: make sense because it's wiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could figure out how it was once an evolutionary advantage.
0: Oh, I'm sure we can. It's so easy to tell an evolutionary advantageous story for everything.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yes. All right. So this was a weird episode of Is That Bullshit? Because we just we're out of the gate. Acknowledge that it wasn't bullshit, talked all about it, so I'm going to ask you the question this way. Maria Konnikova, blue-green wagon wheel rhombus equals ITBS. Is that bullshit?
0: No, that's not bullshit. You got it exactly right.
1: Excellent. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game and Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes. She is not a synesthete, as far as we could tell. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well, one thing that is bullshit is a lot of people say they have synesthesia and they don't actually have it. Yeah,
1: that's a good one.
0: Because they say, oh, well, I see this or this is my favorite. Some people say they've trained themselves to have synesthesia and that's impossible.
1: People just, unless you conk yourself on the head in the right way.
0: Unless you conk yourself on the head in the right way. Conk is a very technical term. Yeah. The conking. It is. It is. I have to, I have to ponder it a little bit longer. So yeah, you have to be able to report the exact same associations in 10 years. That's hard to
1: fake. Well, that's good. I'm glad we got to the, we we discussed the realities and the bullshit that is synesthesia. Yes.
0: I want to be a synesthete.
1: Texture. It's not just a magazine. It's... Many, many magazines, almost all magazines. I like a lot of magazines. I look to see which magazines Texture offers. The answer is quite a few of them. So what it is, is a way to read and cherry pick the best articles that interest you the most. Compare what Texture offers, which is a sign-up service that gives you access to Men's Health or GQ or Esquire or Forbes or Fortune or I can name hundreds of others and you go to the Texture website and check out what they have. It just gives you access to all of them at such a cost savings versus buying even some of them. It is an easy-to-use app. It is an easy way to remain culturally curious. And what they do in terms of curation is fantastic. They'll tell you the articles that you don't even know you want to read, but you want to read them. So again, entrepreneur, Dr. Oz, The Good Life, Hello Canada, National Geographic Traveler, New York Magazine, Newsweek, Oprah, so many magazines to mention, Shutterbug, so many magazines to mention, Vegetarian Times, Wood Magazine, would that they would have wood magazine and Texture does go to texture.com slash gist right now for a free trial unrestricted access to the world's best magazines from back issues to what's on the newsstands right now take advantage of this free trial right now and check out all the Texture has to offer at texture.com slash gist and now the spiel it's got groove, it's got resonance. I watched Greece live, but not live, on tape. I watched Greece taped. not as exciting, but it's 2016. What am I going to jump into a non-sporting event on spec? I need to see the blogs, I need to see the hashtags. I need to hear the podcast, what they say about it. They said it was good enough, so I dove in and it brought up some old questions that always bothered me about Greece.. <laughs> What if I was indeed born to hand-jive, but I've never hand-jived before? It's the same with cliff-dive and high-lie. I might be good at all these things, but I'll never know, because I've never tried. It bothers me." This, however, was not what was bothering the podcast Jam Session with Juliet Littman and Amanda Dobbins. It's on the Channel 33 network. They acknowledged that they watch Grease Live in the same way that everyone must have watched it through the lens of the John Travolta Olivia Newton-John movie from 1978 and when this version did not properly evoke the film juliet and amanda found fault
0: i was stunned to realize that i actually remember the choreography of the dance that olivia newton-john and john travolta does which i'm going to Born try to describe now yeah Born where they to hand well no job, i mean we all know the hand drive but they, when it's their moment they do a thing where they kind of do like gunslinging oh, yeah. with their hips on each side totally. and then they gallop down while lassoing who could forget it but one, I was stunned that I still remembered that dance and could do it. And two, I was really bummed that it was not in the hand-dive moment. I was waiting for it. It's
1: true. This is at once an impossible standard for Grease Live to live up to, and also a necessary critique that Grease Live clearly tried to address in many, many ways. Just as in Star Wars The Force Awakens, there were so many winks and nods to the original that experiencing the new version is kind of an exercise in cultural archaeology. We interact not just with the work, but it's like an old painting where layers of drafts and versions of that work rest upon each other. This Grease, Grease Live, was triply referential because it is a remake, pretty much a remake, of a 37-year-old movie that sought to evoke the nostalgia of 20 years prior. So set it in the 50s, made in the 70s, remade in the whatever aught-16 is. Beyond that, the 78 movie was kind of racy, a comment on the more conservative mores of the 1950s. But then, in 2016, it had to be tightened up once again to fit the standards of network family television. So some lyrics were toned down and some dance numbers were cleaned up. In general, I thought Grease Live was fun, though flawed the casting was mostly good. I think the worst performer was Vanessa Hudgens, who played Rizzo. She seemed less world-weary and tough than Stockard Channing did in the movie. Here's my theory why. Stockard Channing was 34 in that movie, playing a high school kid, but more importantly, she was playing against John Travolta, who was 24, and Olivia Newton-John, who was 29, when they made the movie. Whereas Grease Live, the Sandy and Danny Zuko actors, they're in their early 30s, but Vanessa Hudgens is only 27. But look, It is the first time, while watching Grease Live, the first time I ever said, wow, that is an amazingly quick costume change during a TV show. So that's something. A slightly different kind of wow, that's something hit our TVs last night. American Crime Story, The People vs. OJ Simpson. This show, like Grease, is also refracted through familiar source material, a TV show that originally spooled out over 16 months in the mid-90s. That it was real life does not change the fact that it's also a text open to interpretation. In fact, the non-fiction nature of the source material, the actual events of the O.J. case, might be misleading. In a way, a work of fiction allows for less flexibility because when you put out a movie like Greece or a movie like Star Wars, you're at least saying, okay, this is the story the makers intended to tell. But what we know about the OJ trial changes. It's not so much that we learn new facts, it's that we interpret known facts in different ways. I submit that in 1995, the story of OJ was the story of justice subverted, a jury bamboozled, and a prosecution bested. The important thing back then, was the important thing about OJ? Celebrity killed his wife and got off. But now it's 2016. OJ Simpson is sitting in a jail cell for a different crime. Few doubt his guilt. But his story has resonance for reasons that are a lot different from how it resonated then. The series totally gets this. And I think the series is so good, or at least the first episode, seems to promise a really good series exactly because of context. For instance, if this were a work of fiction, we would experience the Bronco chase as this highly dramatic thing. Will he live or will he die? Here it's presented as highly farcical because we know what happens. Even the casting and performances reflect sophistication. Like Sarah Paulson can't help but imbuing all her characters with depth, and her portrayal of Marsha Clark is great. Cuba Gooding Jr., he's fine as O.J. His character, meaning O.J., but the character that they present as O.J. isn't insulted. There, there needs to be some depth and ballast there for the series to work. But then you get to members of O.J.'s legal team, and the phrase clown car comes to mind. John Travolta, hey, it's Danny Zuko. No, it's more like Corbin Bernson meets Norma Desmond, but especially David Schwimmer as Robert Kardashian.
0: Juice.
1: Juice. situation has gotten real bad. Juice. Don't! Don't. Come here. How can you not hear Ross from Friends saying, Joey, Joey, get the ducks out of the hallway. Juice, don't shoot yourself in Kimmy's room, juice. I think David Schwimmer may actually be a good actor, but he is so defined by his role of Ross. In a way, by the way, that Jennifer Aniston wasn't, I guess because she's less distinctive. But it works. Schwimmer, whether meaning to or just because it's Schwimmer, evokes 90s nostalgia, sentimentality. You know, Friends debuted two months before the OJ trial began. The entire experience of watching this, if you're of a certain age, is to say, is to watch it, is to think about it, but then to constantly have this narrative going on saying, I remember where I was when he was arrested. I remember where I was during the chase. I remember where I was during the verdict. But as a great TV show once said, remember when is the lowest form of conversation. The People versus O.J. Simpson pulls off that trick of reminding us of things that we never actually thought of the first time. So much art now is experienced in the context of some context, and I increasingly find the pleasures aren't so much surprise endings or a payoff or a whodunit, but a resonance and a relationship with the original work. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, GIST producer, has got some overhead lifters and four barrel quads. Oh, yeah. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, missed his midterms and flunked shampoo. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of Panoply Network, won't go to bed till he's legally wed. He can't. He runs Panoply. The gist I've got chills. They're multiplying. And I'm losing control. Because the power you're supplying, it's electrifying. No, wait, that's not why. It's the neurovirus. Umperu peru de peru do peru and thanks for listening. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again. Now. You're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find Oh, there it is! Drawing board or Miro! All our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.